0: Hey guys, welcome back to VM Nation. Guys, this is going to be a great episode. I'm your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as The Comeback Coach. This is going to be a great episode. We're going to be talking about some of my favorite things, veterans, mental health, and kindness. Yes, I said kindness. So, And we're going to be talking with my friend from the Great North, Mr. Mark. But first, I want to thank our sponsors. The first sponsor is me. Uh, My book just came out. I just it came out on Monday. It's called A Hero's Journey from Darkness to Light, and it all and it's my story. But it also has chapters on what addiction really looks like. Also has chapters on um, what depression looks like and how to overcome depression. And so that book is out. It's on sale for ten ninety seven, and twenty two percent of the proceeds go to help Project Die Hard twenty two which helps veterans struggling with homelessness and PTSD. My second sponsor, which without them, I wouldn't be able to put the book out is OVF operation veteran freedom. They're a group on Facebook where if you're a veteran, uh, sometimes we have problems getting used to getting into a regular job. So we might want to start a career. So they teach you how to literally teach you how to start your own career, especially if you're looking to get into something with digital marketing. So definitely check out, OVF operation veteran freedom. So guys, thank you guys for coming on. This is going to be a great episode. Mark is an amazing gentleman. Um, It's been all Mark for the last three days. I've been doing nothing but listening to his podcast, reading his book three times. Um, So you're going to, this is a treat for me. Mark, what's going on, brother?
1: Hey man, I really appreciate you having me on and you read it three times. It must not be too terrible. I appreciate that. No,
0: it's real, and you know, for me, I, I, I'm a big reader. Um, uh, and it was it was a book that was very easy to digest, and I've act and I actually found myself uh, chuckling a few times, actually laughing out loud sometimes. So it was a really easy book to read, and really enjoyable. You're a great storyteller.
1: Oh, thank you very much, and. Uh, for anybody that's interested the name of that book is why not me the keys to unlock your power and release your potential there's a couple of mark mind keys out there actually uh, uh so whoever wrote the um steam engine or steam power engine or whatever it is that ain't me <laughs> i didn't i didn't write that that's a, that's another guy with the same name but um why not me the keys to unlock your power and release your potential it's um interesting why i wrote that when i I had like no self-esteem coming out of the army. I didn't think I was worth a hill of beans. And I I eventually fell into this job where I was doing really, really well, like rock star level. Well, and nobody was more surprised than I was. So I started to figure out, well, why is this? Like, how am I able to perform uh, better than I thought possible in this particular role? And then I started, uh, there was a couple of other people around me that read all the self-help books and the personal development books. And a couple of them were suggested for me. So I, I started reading more and more books and there was at the time, something called daily that would give you inspirational quotes every day. And I would uh, collect them and print them out. And I had a binder three inches thick of these inspirational quotes and all these different sources. And after a couple of years of this, I, I came to the conclusion that, you know, if I ever have kids, I'm gonna to want to write a book to um, capture this journey of growth that I'm on. And then I did have a kid. <laughs> and then I had the most horrible feeling that, oh my gosh, um, what if I get hit by a bus or a meteor? I'd prefer a meteor because that'd just be epic. But um, I, I then I won't be able to raise my kids. And all this great stuff I'm learning. I, I have to be able to impart this to my kids. And, um, with this in mind one morning at about three in the morning, I just woke up and, and I got, Oh my God, I got it. I got it. I know what I want to do. I grabbed a stack of paper ran downstairs and I started scribbling on the stack of paper. And, and the first book that I wrote, um, started to form two years later, it was published two months after it was published. I won an international literary award for contributions to human potential, which I was, really surprised about I had no idea that it would do well but it did but all these years later when I look back I thought I wrote this to capture these lessons for my kids and to pass it on to them but looking which is always going to be part of the book but when I look back I realize oh my gosh this is how I survived PTSD before diagnosis before I had it so how i survived was by immersing myself in constructive thought reading all the all all these different books of personal development and and success that you have to understand these mindset principles in order to overcome ptsd if you don't have your mindset right you're going to get uh, caught in the victim trap and that is not a good place to be it is really really tough to recover from there so in hindsight, really, it's how I survive PTSD is that book. So,
0: and then, and in my mind, I'm picturing you running downstairs, writing your book. I'm just picturing you like being the Canadian Jerry Maguire, you know, just scribbling and writing and writing and writing and trying to get it all out. So, um, I, I, I love that analogy. It's help great. Me help you. Exactly. <laughs> um, now, um, uh, by the way, I love the title because you know, I think once we start changing that, that thought process, because I, you know, once I, I went blind, it was actually two years ago today um, that I actually had my surgery. And, um, my thinking was why, why is this happening to me? Why, why? And then I'm listening to a podcast by Mr. Ed Milet, which is my, one of my, my mentors. And he said, why not you, (laughs) you know, Um, who the hell are you not to have problems? You know, why not you? And then I, then I started switching the mindset to success. Why not me? You know, that's, but then I started, you know, obviously guys like us, we kind of go deep in the rabbit hole of mindset. So of course I went back to Mr. Andrew Carnegie, Napoleon Hill, and realizing that the mind hasn't really changed much in, you know, 120 years
1: one of the greatest mistakes that we make is thinking that we've evolved we haven't not much socially we have you know we're a better society in general in some ways in some ways we're worse a lot worse and um but you know it's not a case of the good old days necessarily but we always got to be looking in the mirror and and trying to reevaluate, okay, what is better? What is worse? and And what constitutes better? What's my definition of better? What's my definition of worse? And am I right? Because we're all guessing. And the people that think they got it, no, this is how it is. Uh, Well, the Sith speaks in absolutes, (laughs) you know, but it's true. If you're speaking in absolutes and you figure you've got it figured out, chances are you don't. And the more sure you are of the world around you, the less accurate you're probably being. Well, kind,
0: kind of like the great poet and the great actor Roddy Piper once said, once I think I have all the answers, the world changes the questions. (laughs) <laughs> so talk to us about your uh your upbringing uh what kind of kid were you and why did you join the military
1: well I was a different kid um uh, and not, not to throw a, a wet blanket on the show but um, I was sexually molested from the age of seven to twelve so when that happens to a kid um it throws off your compass of what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad, what's acceptable, what isn't—it just throws everything for a mess. And um, that, and some other childhood traumas of uh, serious physical abuse, um, presented as ADD, isn't the the, the symptoms of uh, of severe trauma are very very similar in. Sometimes. Sometimes similar to that of ADD or ADHD. So I was labeled as a slow learner. It's not the case. Uh, I was not a slow learner. I didn't. But um, the education system failed me because it's easier to put a label on somebody than to think and do some investigation. So I was like, well, this kid's having a hard time in class. So slow learner. that's, That's your label. Oh, great. Awesome. And so i was always the the odd duck so i know what it's like to be bullied to be pushed around to be told that you're nothing um none of the other kids will play with you to eat lunch by yourself in the playground and nobody come near you except to pick on you and and uh which is why i learned how to fight because um i'd be all meek and mild until somebody would push me into the lockers or something then something would snap and i'd fight no matter i was always a small kid but uh at, at some point, I just didn't care anymore. So I didn't care how big you were, how mean you were. If you're the cool guy at school or who you were, I'd fight you no matter what. And that start, you know, that's um, PTSD is the if I have a problem, kill it. Your brain's been rewired to constantly uh, be dealing with threats in a violent way which is the only way to survive in battle, in combat. But uh, you don't need to be in a war to have your brain wired for if I have a problem, kill it kind of response. I
0: have a question to ask because um, I grew up in an abused household. And for me, my solace was books. That was Mm -hmm. where I ran. That was where I found my peace. Because I can go anywhere in the world as long as I had a book. So what was your go-to solace?
1: i enjoyed books too and there's all kinds of uh stories um like jonathan jonathan livingston seagull i loved that book um because i really related to that bird you know here's a bird that uh, didn't didn't fit in with anybody else but that bird was also extraordinary so i thought well no maybe that's me i don't know and um that escapism you know is, is is so nice but uh for me, as a kid, I didn't have the the love and uh, and a safe place to live. But what I did have was a motorcycle, because my dad had a lot of money, and uh, and a snowmobile for the winter. So I spent all my time. You know, uh, I don't think I ever did an oil change on either of them, <laughs> which is uh, which is horrible. But. Um, uh, I always had gas. Dad always kept me in gas, and I had those two machines. So all summer long, I was on my little trail bike buzzing around, and all winter long, I'd be on that on that snowmobile uh, buzzing all over Hell's Half Acre. And all my time was spent on those machines. And I covered a lot of ground around that acreage of ours. And uh, I know everybody's uh, backyards and the, all the trails up and down those train tracks. And, um, th- that's, that, that was me growing up most of it.
0: So what, um, did you have military in your background or how did you decide to join the military and talk to us? Cause for me, I love everybody's recruiting story. Cause everybody has a different recruiting story. So what was your recruiting story like?
1: Of my generation, I'm the only guy in the entire family that served. Um, I have one cousin that was a cop. And 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 that's that's it. But for military service, I'm the only one. Um, both my granddads, though, they both served in World War II. As a matter of fact, my mom's dad, who uh, who was 30 years older than his wife, was like, attaboy. a boy!" Wow. <laughs> but uh, he served in the Boer War, World War One, and World War Two. Um, in in the Boer War, he was like 15 or 16 years old. And then World War I, but World War II, he stayed in Canada. He wasn't deployed. He was still in uniform, but in support um, in Canada because he was too old. He would have been in his 40s. So that's a guy with a whole lot of war. But, uh, of course, as a kid, you, you don't get war stories from your grandparents. Yeah. Um, but I still understood that they served, and I had in me that uh, I'd like to do my bit. But really, is because I was such a clown all through school. Because remember, way back when I was told that I was a slow learner. So you give a kid a label, they tend to believe it. Yeah. So I believed it. Well, if I'm a slow learner, why, why even try? Yeah. And I didn't try until grade eleven or twelve. There's just something about one of my teachers that I thought I don't want to disappoint this guy. So I actually tried. Oh, what do you know? Top kid in the class. Huh? So that's what happens when I try. Weird. If I don't try, I'm the bottom of the class. Hmm, interesting. Okay, that's a bit of information I'll take with me. But um, I, I was working at Tim Hortons donuts. Man, wearing my skin tight purple polyester pants, flipping donuts on the night shift from eleven uh, p.m. to seven a.m. And the people that would come in for that night shift were miserable people with a life of regrets behind them. And they just, you know, the older I get, the better I was. And I was looking at them, and I saw, I was seeing my future. I'm like, if I don't pull my head out of my butt, that's going to be me when when I get older. And damn, I don't want that to be me. So I thought, well, what can I do? I decided to join the military. I thought I was going to be a medic when I joined. But I I just figured it's better to go somewhere than to go nowhere. It's better to do something than to do nothing. And I got to do something. And college didn't seem like an option at the time because um, of my uh, high school. So, off to the military, I went. And through the recruiting process, I thought I heard them say that I got in as a medic and that I had a ship out date of February 11th, 1991. But I misheard them. I was competing for the position, I didn't get it. So, when I went uh, to the recruiting center for clarification, they're like, oh, no, no, you competed for it. You didn't actually get that slot. I'm like, oh, uh-oh, I've already had the going away party. So whatever you got. music. So
0: that, that, that was the old bait and
1: switch. Infantry. <laughs> infantry. I said, I'll take it. What is it? <laughs> you know, now that I've decided to do infantry, could you tell me a little bit about what it is? And, uh, well, do you like camping? Well, yes, I do. Infantry. Okay, I can do that. And that's what I did. So I ended up, uh, I wanted to join to patch people up to uh, patch up the holes, not to put holes in people. But um, that's the way she went. And then I was deployed um, during the Balkan Wars as a United Nations peacekeeper in 1994. And that was something else. Not only did the media not tell the story of what was actually happening there, uh, they would um, use euphemisms for everything. So it was a genocide they called it ethnic cleansing. Like, oh, that's interesting. You're just going to make words up now. Cool. Nope. It was a genocide, but they didn't want to use a word like that because it's inflammatory and people might actually want to have a response like genocide. That that reminds me of Hitler.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, maybe we should do something about that. But no, instead it was observe and report. And which is the worst kind of tour that you could possibly do. Cause you're still, under threat all the time they're still getting shot at and there's bombs and bullets and all the horrors of war um but you can do but the rules of engagement are so brutal that you never know when you can shoot back you know not for sure for sure and um what that does to a person uh seeing misery and not being able to do what you want to be able to do about it you know, not being able to, to, to help these um, kids and families and they're starving to death and there's bugger all you can do about it. That, that's a rough go. And that's the curse of a United Nations tour. There's no peace to keep there. You're in the middle of a war trying to keep people from killing each other. Um, like imagine being a bouncer in a bar fight, only you can't drag either of them out of the bar. You just got to stay in there and 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 hold them off, you know. Only it's uh, you're holding off thousands of people on each side, and they're all shooting at each other. And you're in the middle, going, "Hey, don't shoot!
0: Hey, stop, that.
1: Uh, stop that! Stop you know, that! I'll stop! Or I'll say stop again." It's, I'll get my uh,
0: flashlight. Hold on.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's um, it's. I mean, there was some combat. Um, there's the Battle of Medec pocket that uh, no American knows about and only a few Canadians know about it. It's a damn shame. But um, uh, the Croatians wanted to wipe out yet another town of Serbs and Muslims. And uh, there was 21 countries serving the United Nations that were over there. But Canada said, hey, 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 uh, no genocide today, folks. Nope, nope. Uh, the, all those kids and families no, wait, we, we don't want you to slaughter them today. Well, no, 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 we we want to slaughter them. We want to rub out this uh, entire town. No, 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 no. We saw the last few towns uh, down the street that you did that to, and doesn't look very nice, so we're going to stop you. And they said, well, I uh, guess we're going to fight then. All right. Two countries ran away. There's two other countries that ran away. They're like, whoa, this is dangerous. Yeah, you can go go have your slaughter. We're going we're gonna to go have a coffee, smoking a coffee. Um, and the Canadians are like, no, 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 no genocide today. And we dug in for the first time since the Korean War. Canadian troops dug in, stage five trenches. Um, we were outmanned, outgunned. And I think there was less than 100 of us that were actually there on that front line. But they dug in at the town of Medek Pocket, and they fought for four freaking days. Um, Now, the the amount of dead at the end of this, nobody knows for sure. The only thing I'm sure of is that there's zero dead Canadians. The couple had uh, uh, some wounds, but none of them died. So if you're
0: battling for four days, I mean, because like I was an infantry guy also, and um, you guys had to be running low on ammo. You had to be running low on... Food, your morale had to be in the shitter. So uh, what kept, was it just knowing that you're saving lives that kept you guys going?
1: Well, that wasn't me. That was a year before I got there. So I wasn't, I wasn't part of Medec Pocket. Okay. Um, How the supply lines uh, uh, kept going, I have no idea how they did it. But Canadians being such a teeny weeny little army, we have to be pretty good. So our level of training is, uh, higher than average, you know, um, I, I I don't know what the comparable would be with, uh, U S troops, like what unit I could compare us to, but we, we cross train in everything. So Americans are very, very specialized. The machine gunner runs a machine gun. That's it. You know, it's like, well, we can do that and everything else and drive and drive the tank and like, we can do it all, at least a little. And we still have specialists, and there's still the um, uh, the higher-up courses. So, like, we could all operate the machine gun, but we're not machine gunners. The machine gunner with the machine gun course can do it better, but everybody can do it. But the machine gunner can do it really, really well. Um, same as mortars. We can all fire mortars, no problem. But the mortarmen, were really, really good at it. So we can all drive, but the driver is better at it yeah um so how many years did
0: you do total
1: only five yeah i did
0: only i mean heck you know that i hate you know when people say only it's kind of like you know i I think it's amazing that you you did anybody because i think it's the the numbers are like less than one or two percent of the population in the world actually served in some kind of military so just just for you doing
1: that And a very small fraction of that are people that have actually been in a war. Yeah. And a very small fraction of that are people that were actually outside the wire. Yep. <laughs> it's like it's a small community of outside the wire operators. Yeah. It's a it's a very very small community. And so now, now I've
0: sorry. had over three hundred and eighty episodes here. I think I'm almost at four hundred. Wow. And I've had a lot of you know military, uh, Navy SEALs, no matter you know police officers, first responders. And no matter how hardcore we are, you know, in the military, you know, we get used to getting paid, you know, once a month, twice a month, we're getting used to get used to getting medical or, um, you know, we keep get used to getting fed, but then once your career is over, you no longer have a mission, you no longer have a career. And most of the time, 99% of the time, you lose your the camaraderie because you, you, you know like my friend nick sergeant nick says you know once you step off a military base the military doesn't give a shit about you the phone stops ringing and now all of a sudden you're a man on an island unto yourself what was your transitioning like
1: rough i um my tour i, I was injured with um with an osi operational stress injury so people would say ptsd and i didn't know it i mean i should have known it but there was no training in it in the 90s uh the war was 1994 the summer tour when i was there and nobody knew right people could tell i was off <laughs> that was for sure you know uh when i'm pinning people up against the wall by the throat yeah chances are i should talk to somebody but that wasn't the case um i didn't talk to anybody i didn't think i had a problem and nobody told me i had a problem Uh, so my, my, my life just blew apart. Um, all I knew after that war was I can't do this anymore and, and I want to go to college. I want to live in a bigger world. So I want to learn something. That's all I knew. So I put in my release and, um, and I was released very, very injured and a total mess. It was bad. Um, the, the temper- I was punching holes in walls, uh, punched out my own windshield. That was a neat trick. It actually, when you're punching from the inside out, it, it shatters fairly easily. I don't suggest it, but it's uh, not as hard as you'd think because uh, they're meant to take impacts from the outside in. So from the inside out, that windshield breaks pretty easy. Um, but I didn't understand that I was injured. I didn't understand that these anger outbursts were uh, a problem. That they weren't normal and they weren't okay. It took me a while to figure that out after I was spackling a couple of holes in the walls. Because when you have PTSD, um, if you have a problem, kill it. If you have a problem, kill it. If you have a problem, kill it. It's how your brain is wired. Mm -hmm. Hesitation kills is one of the things that you learn in infantry. If you hesitate, you die. Or worse, if you hesitate, your friends die. So if you have a problem, you don't hesitate. You act with action. Just how your brain is wired. So putting up a dam to hold back that, those waters is not easy. It takes time and self-awareness and work. Um, but inch by inch, I was able to get a grip on some of it, like putting holes in walls. I'm like, this is just stupid. What the frick am I doing? So I recognize it as just being so dumb. And I'm like, well, that's not okay. So no more of that. Okay, so good. We've we're making progress. I don't put holes in walls anymore. Excellent. And um, but that's about as far as I was able to grow. <laughs> you know, it's something, but uh, it, it, notice, it, you know, twenty-three years before I got diagnosed. Twenty-three years it was a mess.
0: Now, like I said, I'm not a professional. Obviously, I'm only a ninth-grade dropout. Um, But, you know, I I have interviewed a lot of professionals here and, you know, I've learned that, you know, when an adult acts out, it's usually because of trauma that happened between the ages of three and 13. Mm -hmm. Then you add war to the mix and then sometimes not all the time, but you add alcohol to the mix and it becomes the perfect storm. And nobody tells you how to get out of the perfect storm unless there's been somebody that's been in there already. And I think that's why I think a lot of veterans need to talk to more veterans because we'll open up to a veteran more than we will talk, open up to a civilian, at least here in, in the States. Do you find the same thing that there?
1: Of course. And um, I, I find that there's a real link between veterans and all first responders, you know, fire, EMS, yeah. police. We all speak a very similar language, but some people are only comfortable enough to open up and talk if somebody is culturally competent. So very like a paramedic talking to another paramedic. Um, But my show Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast is for veterans, first responders and their families. And so far it, 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 it's been working out. Like I, it seems that the, the tone of the show, the language that we speak there is connecting to all of the above. You know, it's probably a little veteran heavy because, well, I'm a, I, I was an army guy, so it's going to have that bit of a, of a leaning, but it seems to be really connecting uh, and inclusive to that entire community. And of course, the families, the families are, are often left by the wayside. Um, the families of the serving, wh- whether it be police, first responders, whatever, they go through so much um because when we're having a bad day they're having a bad day right. you know um if if we're having an outburst they have to deal with it and it's no damn fun it's a tough tough go to be a family member and and a lot of times they don't know what the hell is going on yeah. and they take yeah. personally they figure if you're angry you must be angry at me but that's not the case at all
0: yeah. and i just interviewed a, a young lady her name is sharon Lecter. um she was oh, um I sharon Yep. And, you know, she was telling me that she doesn't really tell it much, but her son was a Marine and mm-hmm. he became a member of the 22. So a lot of people don't realize, you know, that when a soldier is in the military, you know, their family is doing the same amount of time as they are. And, you know, sometimes, especially with husbands and wives, Um, they got to pick up the slack when we're overseas and a lot of people don't really think about the family. So that's one thing I love about your show is that you actually um, include the families and make them feel that they're a part of the service.
1: It's important. Um, Like we are in our peer support groups, we talk about the blast radius so uh, as army guys we all understand blast radius if you throw a grenade it has a blast radius of five meters whatever it is so when whatever is in that five meter zone is going to have holes in it if it's a mortar that blast radius is maybe 50 meters if it's an artillery piece maybe that blast radius is 100 meters but from the point of impact out there is an area of damage that's done Every time, um, and it doesn't even have to be an outburst. just anytime you have that hard face on, you know, um, if 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 I have an inability to smile one day because I'm just somewhere else, my wife thinks I'm mad at her, and I'm not mad at her. That is the blast radius. Who am I affecting because of my demeanor? It doesn't have to be an angry outburst at all. It could be. That I am shutting off or isolating myself. Well, that's going to affect other people. There's still a blast radius, even without the blast. We all affect others, our mood, our choice of words. Um, if we're being short, if we're, um, uh, my wife hates it that I, uh, you weren't listening to me, therefore you don't care about me. It's like, no, I, I'm trying to listen. Um, I'm trying to listen. I'm just in seven places at once. And it's just how my brain works. And part of that is trauma. The other part is that I'm high creative, but I'm really doing my best here. So understanding that about each other and and, and not taking it personally, you know, because we all affect the people around us. And that's one of the reasons of um, one of the motivators for suicide when people can't see a when people see the blast radius the the damage that they're doing and they don't know a way out they tend to fall on the sword you know i mean people literally jump on a grenade to save the troops around them and that's where a lot of the suicide comes from because they like i have a blast radius well shit i can't stop i don't know how to stop uh, i'm the bad guy so i'll sacrifice myself so that i don't hurt anybody else that's what's going on in the heads of a lot of people before they they commit to, before they die by suicide. It's a act of self-sacrifice, not every time by any stretch, but is one of the reasons that uh, people pull the pin and punch out.
0: Unfortunately, um, you know and I've, I've heard it said and you know I believe it that you know once a person takes their life, they're no longer in pain but you just projected all your pain onto somebody else. And unfortunately, um, from the studies that I've read, um, um, suicide can become generational. If you look into somebody, if somebody has committed suicide, a lot of times it's somebody in the past and their their lineage that have actually committed suicide also. So for me, I believe, um, you know, once I started getting help 12 years ago, that it was up to me to, um, go change my, my life from giving generational curses to generational blessings. You know what I mean? I do. So, and this is a perfect segue talking about, um, kindness, because I think that if we're more kind to each other, um, you know, I believe that we can probably, I mean, this is just my crazy talk, but, I think we can save 85% of the, not to 90% of the people that are going to commit suicide is if somebody just showed them some kindness. Um, Somebody just like for me, when I tell everybody, I say, you know, I don't, I might not have the answers, but I have a big shoulder and I got big ears. I'm always there to listen. And I think if we could just start listening to people, and being kind to people, I think we could save a lot more lives.
1: I agree. And the biggest way to do that is to not categorize people. People don't like to think. So in place of thinking, uh, we just label somebody, and then we put them in a pile, and then we never have to think about them again. I know everything about you because here's your label. You're a crackhead. Well, okay, now I don't have to give a shit about you because you're a crackhead. So I'll put you in the... And um, you're just you're just a worthless subhuman. I don't got to think about you. And that's what people do. And it's not okay. <laughs> it's not okay at all. One out of four or one out of five homeless people in the United States are military veterans. Yeah. And uh, I don't know what the numbers are up here because nobody wants to find them out. Because if you figure out the number, you might have to actually do something about it. Yeah. Um, but there's certainly a lot of... Uh, uh, homeless or underhoused people that are veterans here. We have veterans food banks in Canada. Well, mostly just in Alberta, but it's growing specific to veterans because of how much PTSD has put people in the street because they can't work. Um, to deal with it, they've they've turned to drugs. And it's funny how judgy people. Oh, you're a druggie. You're a meth head. You're a crackhead. Hang on. Slow down. Slow your roll. Why? Why? Well, poor life choices. No. No. You're being a douchebag. That is not why they're on crack. That is not why they're on meth. They are grasping for straws. And that was the only way out that they could find. Like earlier, I was talking about how people will kill themselves to, uh, uh, to fall on the sword. Well, if the only way out is to kill yourself then people will do that. If the only way out is uh, the only relief you can find is some cocaine. And that's the only thing that works for you. Guess what you're going to do? Some cocaine. And maybe the first few times it's okay, but eventually it's going to turn into a problem because the trauma that you're trying to deal with isn't going away. In fact, whatever drug that you're turning to for relief, it just starts a negative feedback loop and it makes it worse and worse and worse and worse. And and- also it's
0: You know, in, in the United States, I just I'm very big on LinkedIn. I think we just we connected on LinkedIn, but they just had a post that I read today that so many Americans are dying from um, diabetes and obesity mm-hmm. because and a lot of it, it's not what you're eating, but what's eating you. So it doesn't have to That's be crazy. alcohol. It doesn't have to be drugs. It can be food, you know, whatever. Because people don't realize that, like, I'm I'm clean. I just c- celebrated 33 years of sobriety. But the same um, endorphins that hit when you eat a candy bar is the same endorphins that hit when you take a hit of methamphetamine or when you take cocaine or any other drug. It's the same it's the same mind mindset loop like you're talking about.
1: So, you know, how does the person you just, you just want to feel good, right? Yeah. So how does the person All
0: right, let's say a guy or a guy or girl is about to get out of the military okay. or going to get out of the military? Um, because, you know, if you're in the military when we were in, you know, me and you were kind of we're kind of old school where back then, if you went to go see a shrink back in the 80s, early 90s, we, we all cracked on you. We all made fun of you. Yeah. But now I think, because we know what the stigma is, um, should a person, even before they get out of the military, start going for help?
1: Yes. You know, uh, so many of the TV shows, like, I've enjoyed the show Shameless. I saw the whole series. But one of the things Fiona says in Shameless is like, Gallaghers don't go to therapy. Like, it's some sort of pride. It's like, if anybody needs to go to therapy, it's the Gallaghers. Every one of them, right? Um, but it's a thing of pride. We don't go to therapy. That's not what we do. Why? Is it a weakness? Does it make you less than? Does it make you, a, um, like, what's the hang-up here? But really what it is, is saying, I don't need help. I can help myself. Well, Gallaghers, I don't know about that. <laughs> it doesn't seem to be the case. Um But everybody needs to get a little bit of help when they're getting out because there's the challenges that you're going to face. You're going to face um, feeling like the odd duck. Understanding, like there's a Veterans Transition Network that does great, uh, great work. But when you are the odd person out, you're going to feel isolated. Because once you're out, you're out. Like that's it. Nobody keeps in touch with you. Okay. All those relationships are temporarily on pause for a few years before uh there's the other people that are out and then you can start to find your community again. But you are alone. You are alone when you first get out and it sucks because um your family doesn't understand you, all your friends from high school don't understand you, nobody freaking understands you because you're a different person now. Yeah. And it is a Awkward spot to be in. So, what do you do? You got to find a new community. And that's one of the spots where uh, Operation Tango Romeo fills that gap a little bit. Um, like, especially the first 10 episodes. You listen to the first 10 episodes and you have an idea of, oh, that's what's going on. Oh, that's what makes me different. Oh, okay. And then you have to learn how to be a bit of a chameleon, man, how to wear different hats in different places.
0: All right. So I've got a question because like I've been out, I think um now it's,
1: it's
0: 12 years now. Okay. And I see guys that I was in, you know, we all pretty much got out at the same time. You know, they're still rocking the same camo. You know, they're still, you know, they're still rocking, you know, it's like, all right, bro, you're not in anymore. <laughs> You've been out 12 years and it's become their identity. Well, like, for me, like, the, the day that, you know, my life changed was a Memorial Day 2012 was when they said, you're no longer Sergeant Kaufman. Um, you can't see, you can't shoot. So we, we don't need you. And I didn't know who Richard was because I spent my whole life being Sergeant Kaufman. And then I had to I was scared and I had to learn how to reimagine and reinvent myself. And I think a lot of people that were in the military, they get stuck not reinventing it themselves. You know, they're still stuck in, in that service when they're, there's this whole beautiful world out here, but you're still stuck to being Sergeant Kaufman. You know what I mean?
1: So what's your question?
0: So then if a person, how do you, how does a person, you know, like when we got out, we got out because we got hurt, um, you know, So how does a person start to rebuild their their life and reimagine their life after service?
1: I'm writing a third book right now, and it breaks down into three steps. The first step is understanding who you truly are. Sergeant Kaufman is a role that you played. It's not who you are. The people that hang on to still rocking the camo 10 years later and all that, those are people that are hanging on to who they were because who they were was is um, cooler in their mind than who they are today. Once a veteran, always a veteran. So hanging on to that veteran identity, when you hang on to it too tightly and everything around you is uh, got a veteran slant to it, well, you're hanging on to your past as opposed to right now and building right now and building on that. And that's, it becomes your identity. Your ego is the false identity. The ego is the story that you tell yourself. Your ego is the roles that you play, but it's not who you are. It, it plays at who you are, but it isn't who you actually are. Who you are is how you live your life. Not the role with which, so you're a sergeant, but were you a good one? Were you uh, a compassionate leader? Were you a good listener? It's all those things is is who you are. Am I organized? Am I reliable? Am I honest? Those are the things that you are, not the role. How you played that role is who you are. Not the role itself if that makes sense.
0: No, it it makes perfect sense, Um, especially because when I get out, you know, I had to, I mean, literally, I'm blind in one eye. Um, I can't do what I used to do. And now I'm sitting around, you know, getting fat, dumb and happy. And I'm (laughs) like, all right, this shit isn't working. I got to figure out a a new way, uh, you know, a a new normal. And that's when I, you know, got had lunch with Gary V and all that good stuff and then had a podcast and all that stuff started. So talk to us about, you know, how you started and how and why you started the podcast. And what are some of the things you wish you would have known before starting your show? Cause a lot of people that, you know, they want, Hey, I want to start a podcast until like, wait a minute, this is work. You know, you have to, you have to put effort into it. And they don't realize that the average app, uh, podcast lasts eight to thirteen episodes, and then it's over. Yeah, yeah. You
1: know? Yeah, and I'm at 185, 186, something like that. So you're in the top, um, you're in the top five percent in the world. There you go. Um. So those are two very different questions. Um, let's start with why I started Operation Tango Romeo. Okay. I already had. The Mankey Show podcast. And I did about 65 episodes of that. And it was cool. Uh, like yourself, I was starting to get some neat guests on and uh, even a couple of celebrities. It was it was pretty cool. And I enjoyed it. But what it was missing was a real strong sense of purpose. I don't, I'm not really able to do things just because they're fun. I need more than just fun. I need purpose. Yeah. So with Operation Tango Romi, I was already part of a peer support group and there's members of that group that were saying, hey, how do we preserve these lessons? And, I mean, people were driving two and three hours just to be a part of this peer support group every once every two weeks for two hours. You know, it was, um, like, clearly there's some value because people would show up every two weeks for a year despite the two-hour drive just to be there. I'm like, all right, well, let's do Operation Tangle Romeo, which is... And originally, the idea was scaled peer support. So peer support that is available anywhere in the world. You don't have to drive two hours. You can, you know, while you're driving to work, just turn it on. Listen to Spotify, away you go. And it was the peer support podcast when I first started. So I figured, oh, maybe 20, 30 episodes, 40 on the outside, and then I'll talk about, you know, I'll have everything covered. There'll be nothing left to talk about. Well, I was wrong. <laughs> horribly wrong um there are so many resources out there and i kept saying to to other people that were service providers hey do you have a resources page on your website because like nobody knows where to go and uh, people would kind of have a little one you know with like three or four resources but there's hundreds of them out there and it's all fractioned. there's all these little mom pa shops and i keep asking people hey do you have a resources tab well i just gave up waiting for somebody else to do it. And the show became that resources tab. So um, lots of American guests have been on Navy SEALs and Green Berets and all that cool stuff. But uh, most everybody that has been on is the founder of this or the facilitator of that. You know, they got something going on that's supporting the veteran first responder community. Um, They are the resource, the founder of that resource. So I have them on, and we talk about what those resources are and how to find them. That way, now you have a one stop shop. You go to the show, you cherry pick. um, Oh, here's this foundation. It's in uh, Utah. Great. I'll click on that. I want to learn what they're doing. Hey, what are they doing in Texas? And um, pick the resource that works for you. And away you go. But any of the episodes work as peer support because you hear a voice. We all speak the same language. It doesn't matter if you're a Marine or, or regular infantry or, you know, Canadian, American, British, Australian, any of it, Russian for that matter. You know, um, if you've served either military or first responder, there is a common, there's, there's a commonality amongst us. We've all seen the devil. You know, any of us that have, um, especially if you've been deployed, you've seen the devil. You've seen the devil's works. And uh, whether that is literal for you or figurative, it doesn't matter. Um, We know evil. And that is the common bond with all of us. And uh, once you've seen that and you've seen true evil, that's what makes us, one of the things that makes us all different, I think. So, That's the voice that you hear and, and other guests that get it, yeah. you know, and and like yourself also have all kinds of practitioners and trauma experts. And, um, and I cover everything that I think is relevant from, um, Dr. Bonnie Kaplan with uh, her book, the better brain talking about micronutrients and nutrition and how that helps, um, mental health issues, uh, whatever I can find that is relevant, the mission and the vision are the same and I stay true to the mission of the vision. The mission is save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible. The vision is a world where the path to recovery is clear because it ain't clear right now. It's a dog's breakfast. It's a mess. And um, I'm doing everything I can to, to clear that up. And uh, when my third book comes out, it's going to be all about that. Uh, here's what I've found. Here's what it boils down to. Here's what I think helps. And, um, and, and that's going to be the next book. Yeah,
0: yeah. We got a new, we got a book. I'm starting to write actually it's coming up this Wednesday. It's mm. uh, it's going to be the next book. It's um, it's called too dumb to quit. A story what? of uh, resilience. And it's going to have a lot of the people that have been on the show. Um, you know, talking about resilience, because, you know, anybody, it doesn't matter whether you're the banker or the garbage man, we all have trauma. We all have something going on in our lives. You know, we all have resiliency. I mean, you see these actors, actresses, you know, committing suicide at rampant rates, you know, so we all have trauma, I think. But now I think we're actually starting to be able to talk about it a little bit more we're you know we don't have that stigma i mean we still do but we don't have it as much so what have you really learned you know besides you know what you do but talking to some of these people that have been in the trenches what are some of the things that they've done to start refilling their cup again
1: finding a sense of purpose is the biggest one um and that's why so many people, why there's so many uh, uh, little, I shouldn't say little in a diminutive way. That's not, that's not how I mean it. But there's uh, a lot of mom pop shops for veteran support out there. And for the most part, these are family members or, or veterans themselves or former first responders or current first responders that, um, that see a problem that want to help. So they have retreats or courses or they're doing something to give back and they're doing it for themselves. Like I do, the, the, my show is cathartic for me. It, it it provides me with a sense of purpose Mm -hmm. and that sense of purpose um, lets me know that I'm not wasting my life. That sense that you're not wasting your time here on this planet is why so many of these places pop up. Um, And that's what everybody needs to find. You know, you don't have to have your own organization, um, and it doesn't have to be your job. One day a month, volunteer at a food bank or at a homeless shelter or wherever you know whatever is interesting to you. But give back, continue your service to your community through volunteerism. One day a month will change your life, because you'll have that sense of purpose and contribution. And when you keep that promise to yourself to help others. Um, something happens to your confidence levels. It goes up. Your self-esteem goes up because you know that you're not a waste of, of skin on this planet. You're, uh, you're helping somebody just help somebody, you know, uh, wh- whatever that is, um, buy a McDonald's meal and give it to a homeless person once a month. There you go. 12 bucks once a month. You know, that, that that's all you got to do 12 bucks a month. And give one meal a month to some homeless person. Whatever it is, whatever it is that is meaningful for you, do that. I've had guests, um, he's into beekeeping and mindfulness. And uh, so he started beekeeping for veterans. His name, name is Mattis Stebbin out of um, uh, in Ontario. Um, okay, that's your jam. Cool. Whatever it is for you, do that. Yeah. Just do something.
0: I, you know and I love that um, you know my, my father he's 90 years old uh, he he just came, he came over the boat from Italy so he has a lot of these great euphemisms you know he's like you know the the man the man with no feet can't complain to the man with no shoes so, you know sometimes if you're feeling down about yourself like you said go out you know if you're if you're, if you, I I think the the universe gives back so I believe that if you're running low on money, like Tony Robbins said, you know, he gave his last twenty eight dollars to a child and it totally changed his life. So I think a lot of times if if you're running low on something, whatever it is, go help somebody else that's struggling with that same issue. And I think the universe, whatever you call it, I call it God, will give back to you
1: tenfold. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and but believe it or not, there's even a limit to kindness. Um which seems a bit counterintuitive, but there is, uh, I've seen people fall into the hero trap. Yeah. where was like, Hey, that felt good. And it turns into an addiction just like anything else. Yeah. Uh, and then they think, well, I must be good because the hand that gives is above that hand that receives. And look at me doing all this giving. So I must be sorted out. I guess my own stuff is figured out now. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Just another coping mechanism. You know, yeah. it's just, just another addiction. So yes, help others. Absolutely but never lose sight of what's going on with yourself and make sure that you're not doing it as a coping mechanism and ignoring the shit that you've got to deal with yourself.
0: I love it. So last two questions. Um, This has been a great conversation, by the way, I'm so grateful for you. Um, I'm thankful for your friendship. And I just wanted to publicly say that you're, you're an amazing individual. Um, So how do we find you? How do we support your mission?
1: First of all, all of that is super kind. Thank you, Richard. You're a good man. Um, the easiest way, and I'll, I'll put this in the comments too. Uh, the website is operation So operation tramarecovery.org. I think I didn't spell it wrong. And um, everything's on there for the, for, for contact information. My show is on, well, about eight of the major platforms, like most of them are. Um, my primary primary upload point is anchor.fm, but the bigger platform is Spotify.
0: Yeah, I use Anchor. Stuff.
1: Yeah, Anchor's good. And um, it's good for me anyway. It's simple. Yeah. So I, I like simple. Um, but it's on Spotify within 10 minutes of me loading it on Anchor. So um, if you have Spotify, it's a free app. Uh, just click follow on there and every time uh, a new one pops up it's right there and uh, and you can message me through there as well Um, all the lives uh, are collected so if you want to see the video of it the only place to do that is on um, one of my facebook pages either my personal page which is already at five thousand. so sorry if you send me a a friend request i'm it's booked it's full um but uh, you go to operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast, Facebook page. And that's where the collection of all the videos are. So if you're a video person, that's what you want to see. That's, that's where they all are. I've, I've been flailing at uh, YouTube. So I don't really have much of a YouTube channel. I do for, I did for the mankey show podcast, but it's just, I'm overwhelmed. So the videos are there on Facebook. If you want video, that's where it is.
0: So then how do we find your books?
1: amazon.ca or amazon.com or amazon.co wherever you are in the world Uh, go to amazon and um i got it in in the notes there i typed uh the name of the book is why not me the keys to unlock your power and release your potential um the (laughs) the other book that i have published has nothing to do with personal development it's for real estate actually got one right here but it's um i was a realtor for about 12 years and uh so anybody that owns a home, if you want to make money with your home, investors, there's the home seller's Bible for homeowners, invest, agents, and investors. It's on there too. But um, the one that we're talking about today, though, is why not me? The keys to unlock your power and release your potential. And it's really how I survived PTSD uh, until I finally got diagnosed 23 years later.
0: Okay. So my last question, um, I ask a thousand people, I get a thousand different answers. Okay. Um, I don't know how it is in Canada, but right now I live in New Jersey and with this Omicron, Deltacrom, Omicron, whatever it is, uh, we're going back on, it seems like we're going back on down, on lockdown again. And in, really? in, in the United States, um, since this whole thing started two years ago, over a th- over 100,000 restaurants have closed. So we have a lot of parents that are out of work, they're driving DoorDash, uh, Uber eats, you know all that stuff, just trying to put food on the table. So if I ask the average you know person that's listening to this to do something in seven days, they're never going to get to it because they're so busy just trying to stay ahead. But if somebody's listening to, to us right now and if somebody is struggling with their mental health, what is something they can do in the next 24 hours to start to get them to get some help so they don't eat their gun?
1: The number one thing to do is to control your environment. So if you're on, people like to complain about social media, but you're in control of the filters. So any of the haters out there, click unfollow. You don't have to unfriend them, you know, um, unless you have to. (laughs) I mean, if you have to, you have to, but try to not unfriend and block unless you have to. But if you have to, that's okay but you can't allow any, any toxicity in your life. So start with your social media feed. Um, when there's stuff that's just negative and hateful, unfollow. If you have to unfriend and block, but at least unfollow. And then you won't see that crap anymore because it only takes a couple of rotten apples to spoil the bunch. And you'll be surprised, um, it doesn't take long to clean up your, your Facebook feed or any of those feeds just unfollow and replace with something positive, with something inspirational with something that you can dream about. For me, it's uh, cabins in the woods and stuff like that. Cause I used to have one, it was stolen from me. It is one of the worst losses of my life. So instead of focusing on what I lost, I'm focusing on the next one. And, uh, and, and I got that coming up in my feed all the time. Like, ooh, yeah, that'll be good. That's what I'll build. That's what I'm going to do next. And focus on what you want, not on what you don't want. So control your environment. If there's members of your family or friends that are toxic, it's going to have to small dose them. You know, maybe even ignore them. But do it with kindness, you know, um, but if uh, if people are negative and mean and, and hateful, just don't tune into that anymore. Stop.
0: And you know, one thing I noticed for my own mental health is I stopped watching the news, unless okay. it's for weather or, you know, little local events. But I stopped watching CNN and all these other networks because I just got tired of all the negativity And then I did exactly what you just said um, after I went blind three, two years ago. I, somebody said, and I don't remember who it was. They said, you know, that, you know, even Mr. Carnegie and Napoleon Hill says, you know, when you start using a reticular activating system in your mind, you're, you're going to see whatever you're going to look for. So I went through all my Facebook for 30 days. I hearted every positive thing and I let everything negative thing go. And now yeah. my, my feed is nothing but positiveness. So I love I love what you're talking about because it actually works.
1: It, it's what you have to do. I mean, you have to take control of the information that you consume garbage in garbage out, you know, uh, don't let, if there was an elevator that you had to get on every day and elevator number one, uh, always smelt good and it was nice, but elevator number two, there's always the same guy at the same time farting in the elevator. You're going to choose elevator number one. Well, why smell somebody else's parts in the elevator? Clean up your Facebook feed. Clean up all your social media feeds. Yeah. You know, you don't have to l- smell the parts in the elevator. Take the other elevator. You don't have to. Take control of that. Look after yourself. Have some self-respect. You know, you don't have to sniff the other guy's parts. And, uh, <laughs> and that's what it is.
0: I love it. Um, So I just want to say thank you for hopping on. This has been great. Um, Guys, I've definitely.
1: What a thing thing to end it on. Don't sniff the other guy's parts.
0: And the show is over. I'm actually going to even, I might even name the show that when it goes out live. (laughs) But uh, guys, definitely check out his podcast. Um, I've been binge listening to it. Check out his book. I read it three times. You will not be disappointed whatsoever. Guys, if you get a chance, make sure you pick up the book a hero's journey from darkness to light it's out on it's out now available i put in the links for 10.97. if you don't have 11 bucks then you got more problems than, my, than <laughs> buying the book um also thank you operation veteran freedom um, if you guys are looking to start your own business especially digital businesses check them out it's a free facebook page group and they're willing to help you out brother I just want to say thank you. And this was such an amazing conversation. We're like, yeah, we're only going to go for 30 minutes. And now here we're over an hour. We're just, just, I'm just enjoying the conversation. I just want to say thank you.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me on, Richard. It's very generous. And uh, and congratulations on all the success of your show. It's not easy to get Sharon Lecter on the show or to have lunch with Gary Vee. You're name dropping like a mad hatter there. <laughs> awesome.
0: Well, you know, it is because I, I, I realized that, you know, I I couldn't do what I do if it wasn't for the people that got me where I'm going. So uh, for me, I'm always, I'm just standing on the shoulders of giants. So mm-hmm. I always want to give credit where credit is due. Uh, you're a good man. All right, my brother, well, have an amazing week. And guys, remember, vertical momentum, the only way to go is butt up. I will catch you guys on the
1: flip. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share please feel free to leave us a comment.